Hey, queer mos and friendos of the podcast. This is KJ coming to just let you know that this episode comes with a little tiny bit or a whole lot of bit of a bevy and just swimming pool full of trigger warnings. Um, today's episode, as you can see by the title, is about J.K. Rowling. And uh, this is going to be a two-part episode uh, kind of trying to bring all of the information we can together in the most coherent way we can. And that means we're going to have to really dive deep into some transphobic bullshit. And that's going to involve a whole lot of things that might be triggering for some listeners. If that is something that's going to be a real bummer for you or something that you are not going to be able to handle, this may be one to skip. However, if there's someone you think might need to hear some of the information we have to say, we would love to have you share this around. Help us get more of this information out. Thank you so much. And let's get on with the show. Queer Mo is the Queer Mo cast. It's the Queer Mo is the Queer Mo cast. Welcome to the Queer Mo cast. With KJ and Shim Sham. With KJ and Shim Sham. Yeah! Let's stretch. Oh, stretching before we stretching before we make it all happen. Hello and welcome to the Queer Mo Cast. I am your host Shim Sham. They, them, or he, him. And today I have with me, as always, Mrs. <laughs> I'm K. I'm KJ. Pronouns they, them. Hello, Mama. How Hello. have you been this weekend? Good. I'm good. I'm coming off of a grueling hellish week. <laughs> yeah, tell us more. And so just not feeling well, lots of work, working some overtime. Um, so uh luckily KJ is gonna guide me through our topic today, and she has um a lot more energy, I think, <laughs> I think. So it'll be good. It'll be good. I'll be uh I'll be, I'm coming into this a little fresher. But anyway, before we get into that, how are you? Um, you know, we're doing okay over on this end. We are uh, T minus 19 days away from moving. Um, ah, as of the recording of this episode, we're moving on at the very, very end of the month. So at the end of March. And uh, well, not even the end. We're moving on the 24th. So we actually were, it's, it's coming up. Uh, the 24th is the, the evening we or like the afternoon we're getting the keys and then the truck is coming on the 25th to move all of our big stuff so we are my office is a mess half of it's in boxes half of it's laying on the floor uh <laughs> it's a it's a trash pit in here but uh oh. i'm i'm also working a little overtime trying to make a little extra money because we're paying for the movers this time um so i picked up a couple extra classes at the jcc which has been fine um, but it is currently on my only day off of the week, so I technically don't have a day off right now, but that's fine. It's temporary. <laughs> temporary. Is this um, your first time using movers? It is our first time using movers. I've and never used pumped. movers. That's like, that feels like an accomplishment. It it makes me feel like I'm actually in my 30s. Like, I don't, I don't subscribe to a lot of general milestones of like adult life because i find them very heteronormative and capitalistic but i will say knowing that a younger stronger person is going to be in charge of carrying the really really large heavy items down the flight of stairs up to our apartment out to the truck and then inside my home yeah i'm fine with that my poor back my poor back needs to know i don't have to carry my mattress up th two flights uh, of stairs <laughs> that is exciting that's exciting to use movers it's expensive but i think uh, i think it is there's a reason i think there's a reason it's expensive yeah no no they should be making money while they do this and also you got to tip them you got to make sure you're being kind a lot of these these are actually college students a lot of them um they're they're so you know i want to make sure that we're supporting supporting the youth uh <laughs> but no so so that's that's everything right now it's a uh, a lot of things are coming to a head right at this exact moment in the next couple of weeks but we're holding it all together it's all going pretty well um but 
I have not been holding things together very well the last couple of days as I've been putting notes together for today's episode because yikes. Yikes, yikes, yeah. yikes. Yikes, so, yikes, yikes. So KJ's been prepping me a little bit. Apparently it's going to be intense and it's going to be a journey. I want to paint you a picture of what I was doing just before this. I was playing, <laughs> I was playing Ori and Will of the Wisps. And it's this beautiful little creature in the forest. And he's just, he's just cute. And he's got all these really nice friends. And everybody's just holding hands and being happy. And now I come here. (laughs) (laughs) To learn about transphobic messiness. Um, But... Before we get to that, I do want to get into our tarot card for today, which today is a very appropriate tarot card. I must tell you, Mama, what a wonderful card we have from the Queer Love is Love tarot deck. I have the Ace of Swords. The Ace of Swords. So you'll notice there's a high heeled pump hanging off of it. Um, Yeah, we've got like a like a small sword that comes to a point. And it's got a crown, and then the crown has like an eye in the center, I think. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's a high heel. And what's on the left? Is that just a plant, or is that a specific plant? Oh, so there is a little. Uh, yep, there, there's something growing onto the ground there. A little, a little sprout growing onto the ground. Um, okay. So the uh, the aces are usually the bringer of news of some sort. Most aces are. Something coming in to tell you something that's coming, basically. That was not very well stated, but I think you understand what I mean. And oftentimes, the Ace is, and the Ace of Swords in particular, is about information coming to you, something swift, sometimes something kind of brutal, something kind of difficult or dark or heavy. Not always, but the Swords are always... They usually bring with them uh, the that cool air logicalness, which can sometimes feel really intense and really harsh it's that person in your life where they just never mince words like they just tell you exactly what they're thinking at all times whether you like it or not that's kind of how the swords are a lot of the time but the other flip side of the swords that you can uh that you can look at especially with the ace of swords is sometimes it's about you telling other people what's up it's about you personally Mm. finding it inside yourself to tell other people hey this is this is this is the straight shit right now and today, that's pretty much exactly what we're going to try to do. My goal with today is to try to keep it to as much of the facts as possible, while also peppering in the fact that we are both queer people with qu- queer lived experiences uh, that also grew up with the properties of the individual we're talking about today. I know you already saw the title, so it's not like it's any secret that we are talking about J.K. Rowling today. And we're going to get into not just J.K. Rowling, but also a little bit about gender critical theory, which is also just a prettier, fanciful name for TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Uh, And we're going to talk about uh, how platforming people matters and how giving your money to people who have been platformed and have also been pieces of shit is maybe not the best way to show your allyship to a group of people. However, we might not get to all of that today. This is going to be a two-part episode because as I was telling Mama when we first started recording, I'm exhausted from the amount of of, like deep diving I've done and I haven't, I feel like I've only scratched the surface. There's so much here. There is so much here. And Today, we're going to Ace of Swords it. We're going to tell it. We're going to go out. We're going to tell everybody what's going on. Uh, I already gave a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. I recorded it separately. But I just want to remind people we are going to be talking about some pretty brutal transphobia, queerphobia, homophobia. We're going to talk about sexism. We're going to talk about abuse. We're going to talk about a lot of things that are really, really difficult for a lot of people to hear. If you are one of those people, you are more than welcome to turn this off. However, we would love it if you have somebody in your life who needs to hear this, if you could just gift it to them. Tell them Jesus to listen to this. Jesus Christ, what did she do? <laughs> oh, it's not. Well, t- we'll get there. Oh, there's a lot here. So <laughs> I know this trigger warning. I'm like, holy shit, what's going to happen? So what? And I'm drinking. I'm drinking a non-alcoholic beer. I have an an IPNA from Lagunitas, uh, which I'm like chugging it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> get me through, hoppy, hoppy goodness. Okay, so let's start off with a little timeline 
of J.K. Oh. Rowling's life. So we're going to start off with a little bit of backstory. And to be honest with you, J.K. Rowling does have kind of an interesting backstory. Um, there's a lot more to her than just a children's series and then a bunch of transphobic tweets that got out of control. So J.K. Rowling... Well, actually, before I jump in, what do you know about J.K. Rowling, Mama? Can you just jump in with anything you know or remember about J.K. Rowling or about what she's created? Yeah, so what I know is that she wrote Harry Potter... Mm. And the uh, the kind of told origin story of J.K. Rowling is that she started Harry Potter on a napkin in, like, a cafe or a restaurant. And that's what I've heard, at least. And so, like, kind of like a rags to riches. I don't necessarily know if she was poor, but she was not necessarily doing well. And maybe she was in between jobs or maybe she was a waitress. I'm not sure. But I think that's the kind of the story I've heard. And so that she started Harry Potter and then Harry Potter took off. And like, uh, and actually it's funny. Um, I have my microphone sitting on Harry Potter books. <laughs> you get even... out. You get the fuck out of here right now. <laughs> I didn't even plan that. It's because they're thick. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And yeah, Harry that's Potter. a thick one right there. She, yeah. she a thick boy. <laughs> and um, they took off. And so me in my, I think, fourth, third or fourth grade class, one of our teachers read us Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And... What I liked about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is there was a creepy edge to it. At least mm -hmm. at, what grade are you? Are you like 10, 9 or 10 around then? Yeah, they were third, um, fourth grade. There felt like a dark edge to it. Like there were secrets and dark magic and evil people. So I think that's what I liked about it. Um and then, of course, I think growing up as a queer person, you felt like there were lots of allegories for... Because um, Harry Potter has this dark past and people make fun of him. And then isn't Hermione half... They call... They call non-magic people muggles. And it's so it's like the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the word is mudblood that's the sort of version of the n-word or like faggot or something similar to that yeah she's not half and... she's completely muggle-born so she has no magical blood in her lineage that anybody knows of and so um it, it, it's very much you can identify with it as a queer person because they're kind of outcasts and then ron of mm -hmm. course is a redhead <laughs> Which makes him an outcast. And um, and then, of course, the books came out when we were kind of... Honestly, I got real sick of... What was her name? Chow... Ch what was her name? Cho Chang. Cho Chang. I hated her. And that's just because I was growing up queer. And, like, I could have cared less, Harry Potter, who you're kissing. Well, and we're going to get into that a little later. Because um, you'll notice that a lot of the names in Harry Potter get real interesting when they're not white people. Anyway, we'll <laughs> talk more about that later. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, obviously, I know quite... I mean, I, I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. Like, a lot of people... Like, obviously, I've read the books. And I know the characters and the plots. But... I haven't reread the books. A lot of people like to reread them. They just love them. And then, of course, this new video game has come out. And people are so excited. I honestly am not that excited just because, to me, it looks fine. <laughs> it looks like... But anyway... <laughs> So, like like KJ said, there's going to be, like, lots of different avenues we can go down. It's going to be hard to read. And that's why in. today I have a very, very, as Mike likes to call it, try-hard structure. We are not going to completely stick to it, but we're going to try and stick down the path today a little bit more. So I was. If, if, if you'd have continued down that path, that was going to reroute you back a little bit. Because we're going to get to some of that later. Uh, yeah. So, so but anyway, yes, that's really basically, good. Yeah, basically created Harry Potter. And then, of course, we know she's a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Mm -hmm. But um, to what extent? Honestly, all I know is about her tweets. 
that's really all I know is that she likes to tweet shit. And so from what I know is that it's just all talk. That's all I know. So anyway, there you go. Uh, There are certain things in this story that I think are going to surprise some people that have not heard all of J.K. Rowling's backstory. A lot of times we've heard little bits and pieces of the story. I also want to say really quickly before we jump in that this was an episode I wanted to do. I've been thinking about this new Hogwarts game and I've been thinking about J.K. Rowling a lot over the past couple of years. But we actually got a listener submitted email um, from an individual named Jordan, who I know in real life. Hi, Jordan. Um, and Hi, Jordan. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan and I were both in a friend of our, ours, Corey's uh, wedding together. And also we were both in my house on the night that Corey and his now wife, Brenda, met. So we're kind of connected there. And I just want to read part of the email. It says, psst, it's Jordan. Hey, as the introduction. I'm sure you're going to sound off on this, but I wanted to ask about your thoughts on not only allies who bought the new Harry Potter game, Hogwarts Legacy, but also the queer people who bought and played the game. It's a sticky wicket. It just feels like a trick against our better judgments that we're selling ourselves out to finally play a game to live out the fantasy that many of us grew up with. Like there's people who will say they're allies, but then turn around and buy this game or queer people who have set aside their judgment or feelings to play this game. I feel like it's not dissimilar to eating a Chick-fil-A. Anyway, at least that's uh, at the very least. Thanks for the show. Keep up the excellent work. Thank you so much, Jordan. It was so nice to hear from you. And also nice to have somebody write in and kind of give us an idea of what they'd like to hear, because I agree. This is something that we Mm -hmm. have like talked about in like passing in the past couple of years, like about JK Rowling being transphobic, but you and I have not talked about this as an idea for the show, partially because sometimes when I think about JK Rowling, I get exhausted (laughs) and I'm just like, I can't deal with this bitch right now. But today, and it's just always sad. It's just always sad when someone, honestly, we didn't love JK Rowling because she was, when she created characters we love exactly and so when you just love something it's just always really disappointing when you find out oh they're racist or oh they're a huge trans <laughs> which lately happens a lot exactly so it we're gonna we're gonna jump in to start off with with a timeline of jk rowling's life this is not all inclusive it's a little patchwork but we got to move this along. So I'm just going to try to hit some major highlights. She was born in Yate. I think it's Gloucestershire is how you pronounce it on July 31st, 1965. Um, So a lot of this was taken from her Wikipedia article, by the way. Um, She always wanted to be a writer, but chose to study French and classics at the university of Exeter. Her parents thought it would be more practical for her to study French and classics than to study, to be a writer. I guess. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> a French degree, what are you going to do with well, that? Well, we'll get there. According to her Wikipedia article, she focused more on her social life than her studies. So she recalls doing little work at university, preferring to read Dickens and Tolkien, which I just thought was an interesting little bit. She did eventually earn her BA in French from Exeter in 1987 after a year of study in Paris. So she did go to Paris to get more uh, fluent in the language. And then she worked bilingual temp jobs in London. So she worked temp jobs. French is a much more marketable skill in the U in the UK because there's a lot more people moving around in the the European area. And I just said that because I was a former French major. No, 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 I know. And in in the United (laughs) States, you're right. Unless you're going to move, French don't mean shit here. Like you're not going to (laughs) do nothing with it here. Um, But other places you will. And she did. Um, a little bit of tragedy from her life. Her mother actually died of multiple sclerosis, complications from multiple sclerosis in 1990, which is a disease that my mom has. So I can relate there that it's it's a lot to do with watching a loved one go through the degradation of mind and body at usually a very young age. Um, she's also said that the Mirror of Erised storyline where Harry Potter's greatest wish is to be with his family is based on that, the the idea of longing for someone who's not there anymore, which I think is a really sweet, lovely piece of her actual life story uh, reflected in art. Um, While she was living in London, she would frequently take the train to visit her boyfriend in Manchester, and these were often long trips. On one of those trips in the 90s, 
she was on a delayed train or her, her train was to London was delayed. And she claims that while she was waiting for that train to get going, that the characters of Harry Potter, Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger became more clear to her. And when she got home, she began to write. So the whole cafe on the back of a napkin thing, that's been like stated and also not stated. But so she didn't work in the cafe. She was actually at a if she was at a cafe, it would have been at the train station waiting for her train to leave. Um, so, yeah, she did actually create the characters sort of on a whim. And then once she got the ball rolling, according to her anyway, her own lore making about her life. That's what happened. She began to write. And over the next couple of years, she continued to build the world of the story based on this one bespectacled boy who didn't know that he was a wizard being introduced to a world he never knew. And then his ragtag group of friends and their adventures. That was the initial idea. Um, what a After that, um, she moved to Portugal to teach English and had what she described as a short and catastrophic marriage to a man named Jorge Arantes. Here's where we get into some abuse territory. Oh, so no. take care for the next five minutes if you need to take care. Uh, the marriage was abusive, and he even stated in 2020 that he slapped her and he was not sorry. So oh. it has been corroborated that she was indeed physically abused by this man. Um, not that we have to have that to believe people, but we do have that in this case so there was legitimate uh like not not just allegations of abuse he this this man abused her um she says that she was not allowed a house key and that he frequently used the harry potter manuscript to manipulate her he would hold it hostage inside the house Jesus. so that she, yeah like this the, this man was garbage like garbage total garbage um and they uh, they separated on the 17th of November, 1993, after Arantes threw her out of the house. She returned with the police to retrieve her daughter, Jessica. She had a daughter with this man. And they went into hiding for two weeks before she left Portugal entirely. In late 1993, with a draft of Harry Potter in her suitcase, Rowling moved with her daughter to Edinburgh, Scotland, planning to stay with her sister until Christmas. So there was a lot going on there. So there... There was this abusive relationship that she was in. She's writing the story and she escapes and she gets away. And her, her old school friend, Sean Harris, apparently lent her 600 pounds, the equivalent of $900, which allowed her to move to a flat in Leith, uh, where she finished the first draft of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, later changed to Sorcerer's Stone in the United States. Uh Arantes actually arrived in Scotland in March 1994, seeking both Rowling and his daughter, Jessica. On the 15th of March 1994, Rowling sought an action of interdict, uh, or an order of restraint, uh, a, yeah, uh, 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 restraining order here in the United States. I was like, the word restraint threw me off for a second, so I was like, restraining, there we go. Uh, it was granted, and he had to return to Portugal. Uh, earlier in that year, she had began to experience a deep depression and she sought medical help when she had contemplated suicide. She's a single mother on the run from an abusive ex that she has not even managed to finish filing divorce proceedings with. Something else that I can kind of uh, kind of identify with in my own personal life. Um, she had nine months of therapy. Her mental health gradually improved and she filed for divorce on the 10th of August, 1994. And the divorce was finalized on the 26th of June, 1995. Because as anybody who's ever been divorced knows, it is a long, lengthy process <laughs> to get divorced from someone, even if that person was abusive. So that all leads us up to the publishing of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which was initially rejected outright by some 12 publishers one of them saying that you won't make money off a children's book, Joe. They just, no one wanted to publish this book. When she finally did get someone to take a look at it, uh, staff at Bloomsbury Publishing asked that she use two initials rather than her full name, anticipating that young boys, who was going to be their target audience for this book because their main character was a boy, would not want to read a book written by a woman. Which is genuinely sexist bullshit, right? Oh that is sexist God. bullshit. And it is... So indicative of so many women throughout history trying to write and trying to have professional careers. And that's, right? and when was that, the 90s or early aughts? No, that would have been 90s. Ah, uh, it's just, it's like, come on. 
I know, I know. It, it feels that way now. And like and in the 90s, you know, it was still pretty par for the course to tell a woman like, no one's going to take you seriously. You're abroad. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like the shit that's, that we were dealing with still. That's how like, everyone sounded in the 90s. Everyone, everyone, particularly in the UK. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one last little piece of this before we move out of the timeline here. Scholastic in the United States picked up the book after there was some nominally successful run of the first book, and she had the second book on the way, so they, they they saw potential in the project, and they brought the book over to the U.S., and that's where things really took off. Now we've got movies, merchandise, games, an entire spin-off series. We have all of this craziness surrounding this one little idea from this one person who actually did go through some genuinely difficult, struggling times to get this book out into the world. So knowing this backstory really gives you a sense of like somebody who had a dream, really wanted to pursue it. And we don't have the whole, whole story. You never get anybody's full story. Everybody has myth wrapped into their own life story. But what does this make you think while you're, while you're hearing all of this about uh, JK Rowling's past? Well, you know, at first, it's just awful. I had no idea she was in this abusive relationship and had to flee from this man. So it all, it, when you hear this story, it makes you really happy that she wrote this book and got made it big. Because you're thinking, good for her. Good for her for succeeding after that. Um and then I was also trying to think why Harry Potter was so successful. Because I do like the books, but it's like fantasy is not new. But I'm thinking one thing she did is she wrote fan like a in-depth in fantasy series for kids, which a lot of fantasy, ble believe it or not, is for adults. Like Lord mm -hmm. of the Rings, that those books are tough. <laughs> Yeah, they're really hard to get through. They're very, so, they're verbose, they're dense. Yeah, so I think that's what she did is it's an easy read. It's an easy read, but there's still a lot of lore and a lot of characters. And so, yeah, so that's my initial reaction is I'm you feel really happy for her. It's interesting that you bring up the fact that the book was kind of accessible because it was both praised and also very heavily criticized for being more colloquial for being easier to read than a lot of other fantasy books i was saying that's probably coming from the tolkien fans not just tolkien fans like legitimate writers who were writing at the time were just like this is a sign of the dumbing down of the times right oh. because things aren't as complicated now everybody wants to watch television dramas and soap operas and no one can handle anything anymore it's like well actually if you read a lot of those books they're unnecessarily wordy and verbose like when you really like like unnecessarily like it's just too much right it's too too many too many words i love it when michael and aubrey on maintenance phase are reading something and michael's like this is like academic and shitty can you please read this because it's like yeah you're using so many words to say something so simple <laughs> like, right just, i love just lord of the rings i love lord of the rings but sometimes you're like 10 pages later yep that's what the dragon looked like <laughs> I know it's like it's like okay we we get it there's also like what the council of elderon or whatever i forget what it is um in, in one of the books the and hobbit. it's just this long yeah Ugh. i just remember in the hobbit it's like and we're walking and we're walking and we're walking <laughs> yeah we're walking the hobbit is the only 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 book in the entire lord of the lord of the rings world that i read from beginning to end in one sitting it took me so many times to get through all the rest of the books. Like I would pick it up, I'd get like a hundred pages in, and then I had to stop. Cause I was just like, You're you're in seventh grade. You're trying to read quickly because you know you also have other homework you have to do. So you're trying to read this in between other assignments for reading. And you just don't always have time to read that much. So yeah, I just got to a point where I'm like, I've read a hundred pages and it feels like I've read a thousand. And I didn't read, I didn't read Tolkien until I was an adult because of how inaccessible it is. Yeah, I it just, I made, I made an effort. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think, but... and people are always, I don't know. I, there's always, anyway, anyway. Uh, so 
Yeah, so I'm initially really happy for her. I had no idea she had this really abusive past. Well, and it's it's interesting that she 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 creates this this image about herself of somebody that you want to stand in solidarity with, right? And somebody that you want to identify with. And she created all these characters that are relatively easy to understand and also uh, relatively easy to, to, like, get behind what they believe in. Now, it's debatable whether or not a lot of the characters actually stand for anything. Harry Potter kind of stand against stands against certain things. He's a very simple allegory for the hero versus villain. There's not really a whole lot of... It's just... They are evil, they are good, and there's not a lot of, like, angst about that in the series, which I think is definitely a downfall of Harry Potter as a series. It's why Hermione Granger is one of the more interesting characters. She at least has things that she stands for. She's a little over the top about some of them and maybe not as serious about other ones as she should be, but she has some peaks and valleys. Whereas Harry Potter's just like, Voldemort bad, Voldemort bad, Voldemort bad, Voldemort bad, Death Eater's bad, Death Eater's bad. That's it, right? There's just nothing else there. And in The Lord of the Rings, to use that as an example, is there's actually some, like, back and forth about, like, how evil is this thing? How, you know, like, who's really bad, who's really good? There's there's some discussion there. And there really isn't any of that in Harry Potter. It's very black and white, two sides of a coin, very binary, as it were. much like the gender critical theory they're going to try and push later anyway well i was just gonna say and for me reading the books um especially when it came to rome harry potter was my least favorite character Um, oh yeah like there there were times where i was like oh my god this boy I know. Can he just figure it out already? Jesus. I know. I was. I much rather. And the more interesting characters were actually like Snape, who are uh, awful and rude, and end up being wonderful. Yeah, like surprisingly sympathetic characters, right? Yeah, ones ones yep. that again, like Snape was kind of an interesting character for that reason. There is there are some peaks and valleys, yeah. right? Of like. Oh, I, he's kind of an asshole, but also he's not an asshole completely without cause. But also he's kind of an irredeemable character because he's a terrible educator. And yet also is like secretly <laughs> kind of a good educator, but only for the students he wants to be a good educator for. It's really, really strange, right? You find yourself actually having a conversation about this character. Whereas Harry Potter, it's like, yeah, he's the chosen one and he has to beat Voldemort. That's it. There's there's nothing else to say. His parents died at a young age, so now he has a vendetta against this one person. And yeah, it just it it becomes it becomes very, very stale, one note. So you don't identify with him if you're not a again, hegemonic straight white man. You uh-huh. probably don't identify with Harry Potter as much as you do some of the other side characters. I love Luna Lovegood. She was all I ever aspired to be by the time she entered the series. Uh, <laughs> like secretly in the back of my head. Uh, an oddball who sees the world through a different lens and also really doesn't care that much about what other people think unless they say something mean about her father. <laughs> like, like I, you know what I mean? Like, unless somebody says something mean about someone I care about, in which case, yes, that, you know what I mean? So anyway, that kind of brings me into our next, our next area. Why were millennials so obsessed with this and continue to be so obsessed with this? So this is taken from an article about uh, nostalgia, uh, Harry Potter taking over millennial culture from The Stylist UK, uh, posted by a writer named Kaylee Dre. I'm going to have you read this. This is kind of a lengthy, it's a, it's a set of different quotes kind of lumped together all into one big quote. I'm going to have you take a read through this for us. It is kind of a brick, so just, you know, drink some water. <laughs> All right. There are a multitude of reasons why so many people remain committed and connected to these stories, says psychologist, TV presenter, writer, and expert media commentator Emma Kenny. They provoke nostalgia, which is a powerful emotion to experience and one that has shown to counteract loneliness, boredom, and anxiety, something which will undoubtedly have been important to many of us during the events of last year. 
Nostalgia also makes people more generous to strangers and more tolerant of outsiders. And this powerful state of reflection is particularly useful when encountering emotional difficult, emotionally difficult periods. So this was written right around the end of the initial quarantine of the pandemic. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with her. You When... You can meet a complete stranger, and when you have a nostalgia you can share, it really connects you immediately. You know, it's like when you meet someone from your hometown, and you're like, oh, we both we both went to the Oakwood Mall. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Harry Potter did that for millennials, for sure. And then so talking about... Um, uh, you know, b- basically bring us comfort during emotional times. Well, Harry Potter came yeah. out when millennials were going through our teenage, our preteen and teenage years, which for everybody is a shit show. <laughs> yeah. And also, do you remember a very culture shifting, important event that happened right around the time that Harry Potter really exploded into the mainstream of the United States? So are you talking about 9-11? I sure am. I'm you talking sure, about 9-11. You sure it was, are. It was a strange kind of light for a lot of millennial readers um, at the time because we were living through this strange event that we could barely comprehend <laughs> on a very... But it, uh, but it was also this book about good guys and bad guys. And we were in this like throw of seeing the world through the lens of good guys and bad guys. We're the good guys. The people that did that are the bad guys. Yeah. And... Um, which is super overly simplified in a number of ways. And we don't even have time to get into that today. Cause again, we just, we don't have time. We don't have time. But, um, but the reality is, is that we were being shaped at a very, very specific time in history to see the world through this lens of there are good people out there and there are bad people out there. And we want to believe that bad people have the capacity to change, but really they never do. And, uh, if you're one of the good guys, you're one of the good guys. That's just how it is. Um, and that nostalgic tug we feel now is about the good, beautiful parts of things, the things we identified with in those in those things. I wrote an entire song about nostalgia. I get it. Like, nostalgia is part of the reason I still watch 90s Nickelodeon shows. Like, nostalgia is real, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Where it can get tricky is when we start seeing holes in the light and the beauty of something we're nostalgic about Mm -hmm. and the people that don't want to see those holes who don't want to come on the journey of admitting that maybe this thing that we love isn't as great as we thought it was or maybe this thing that we love so much maybe has been harmful to other people or the person who made it has been super harmful to other people and that's where the debate is kind of turning now so i'm gonna send you a little something um, this is from <laughs> a Forbes article by uh, Danny DiPlacido, uh, entitled, What's the Problem with J.K. Rowling's Goblins? And without saying anything else, I'm just going to have you read this again. I apologize. It's another brick of text, but I think there are some interesting points in here to be, to be, to be read out. So here we go. Let me pop that in the chat. All right. Uh, While goblins are often depicted in fantasy fiction as cruel, greedy, and generally malicious creatures, author J.K. Rowling depicted them in her Harry Potter series as a secretive cabal of hook-nosed bankers who maintain a contentious relationship with the wizarding world, who view them with deep suspicion. While the book absolutely echoed anti-Semitic tropes, the Harry Potter films took the racist association a step further, with the Goblin's appearance practically indistinguishable from a Nazi propaganda poster. Worse was the star of David Pattern clearly visible on the floor of Gringotts Bank. This was a feature of the filming location, London's High Commission of Australia, and did not appear in subsequent films. Oh my gosh. So I do want to point out 
J.K. Rowling cannot be entirely blamed for all artistic decisions made in the films. She did, however, maintain a very large amount of creative control, which is something most authors who get their books made into movies don't maintain. Usually you don't have that much creative control. She managed to work it so she had a lot more creative control over these films than other people. And this is not the only article or the only time it was pointed out that the goblins were legitimately very, very, very anti-Semitic tropey. Uh, well, <laughs> really, really kind of... To not catch that the star... I haven't seen the movies in a long time. And to not catch that the star of David was pictured, that's horrible. Well, and I don't even know if it's in, like, uh, like current streaming versions of the movie. You would probably have to go back to old DVD versions of the, of the Philosophers or Sorcerer's Stone to see it. But that's, like, a minor detail for me. The, the big thing is, is that if you do a side-by-side look at a propaganda poster of a Jewish person during Nazi-occupied, like, Germany, and then the goblins, it's like, yeah, they look, they, they look the same. Oh, no. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, is J.K. Rowling entirely anti-Semitic? We don't know. She doesn't speak about it a lot. It's just one of those creative choices where you're like, were we thinking about this? Was this something that maybe you have deep inside of you, the idea that, ooh, money hoarding goblins also kind of corresponds to the way we used to talk about Jewish people. Um, Absolutely. It probably was a, a subconscious or whatever, unconscious, subconscious, yeah, uh, thought process for her. I'm sh- I mean, if I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, which I, I will, uh, <laughs> I, I can do that. Um, it was probably subconscious, like you said, thinking about, like, uh, She's like, I'm thinking of a greedy jeweler um, stereotype. Yeah, that's probably where that came from. Yep, Eastern European tropes. You know what I mean? That that type of idea. So these are these are all things that are that are wrapped around this. The Harry Potter series has also been uh, been. It's, it's come under fire. I, I mentioned this earlier. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but a lot of the characters who are not white people tend to have either names or character descriptions that can come across as a little tone deaf. Cho Chang being one of the only very Asian people. It's like, really? Did you, did, like, they're, like, I'm not even going to say uh, this is some of the other names you could have called her that were equally as racist, but uh, it just, it was not a good look, right? And people had commented on that multiple times when the book first came out. I remember thinking when it first came out, I was like, has she never met an Asian person? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just not a good name. You know what I mean? It's not a good name. It's one thing to give people who are in the wizarding world, these kind of fantastical names that also have like alliteration in them. It's another thing when you're pulling from a different like culture (laughs) and not, not thinking that all the way through. It's just one, it was just, it's tone deaf and weird. And the, descriptions of angelina johnson and several other like prominently like like usually featured as black performers or black actors or black characters are not always described very well and then when racist things are said to them mostly by the slytherins no one points out the fact that it's racist even though it's blatantly racist because again there's no racism in the wizarding world wink wink it's all about (laughs) blood wink wink (laughs) so it is it's those things where it's like "Mm, not great right not a great look critically looking at it through the lens of an adult you start noticing those things and i am one of those people that did go back and re-listen to the books and reread the books into adulthood and yeah my last time listening through the jim dale uh narrated version of the audiobooks which i specifically listened to because i like jim dale's voice um you do start picking up on more things where you're like, mm, I don't know about that. Or, ooh, that that didn't age as well as I think we thought it would. You know, just little things like that. All right, so that brings us to a few years ago. We're, we're going to get into a very... Uh, 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 we're going to have to split this part up into different parts because there's a lot here. But we're just going to start off with the initial beginning of J.K. Rowling's transphobia, a timeline. We need to get, 
like, is it called a sound mixer? We need to get one so we can play dun dun dun. <laughs> we do need to get a soundboard. I know I should just look up some free sound effects because that <laughs> punctuated. Here, let's just do it together. Ready? Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Transphobia. Uh, <laughs> so. I would also like to start off by saying I identify as transgender queer, which means that I I identify under the trans umbrella. I have I have absolutely no desire to be one gender or the other or the other or the other or the other. I live somewhere in between. I fluidly go back and forth. I spent I mean, you you commented on it uh, earlier. You're like, your hair is different again. That's just how my appearance tends to be. It always has been that way since I was even like 16, 17 years old. I would dye my hair colors that I could kind of get away with with my parents. Not well, but I got away with it by just doing it. And then they can't do anything about it because um, my parents care about shit like that. <laughs> Because it turns out my parents are also kind of transphobic. Anyway, um, so I do, I do take some specific, like, umbrage with all of this uh, on a personal level, and also on a level that's just, it is actually not that hard to not be a transphobic piece of shit. It's not that hard. <laughs> if you really wanted to not be transphobic, which we're going to read a lot of things where she's equivocating about not being a transphobe and people have pointing it out to her and her being like, that's not true. And that's not fair. No, if you really didn't want to be labeled a transphobe, you would stop doing the things you're doing. I'm going to make that very clear right now. She is wrong. And there is absolutely no defense of her from this point on. There really isn't. And I'm going to be honest with you. It would be better to not defend her in any way, shape or form from this moment on. <laughs> because there's not much of a defense here um it's it's miserable judge uh, stephanie james sterling who uh, runs the jimquisition channel over on youtube i will link that down below has a great explainer in like a quick and dirty 20 minutes of why jk rowling's transphobia is particularly disgusting we're gonna do a little bit more of a deep dive here we're gonna try and spend a little time and oh, I can't tell who it is because I can't see the face. But either Sandwich or Soda just jumped up behind you because she knew. <laughs> I know. Sandwich is here. She's like, you're going to need support, baby. <laughs> you need some support here. So I am going to send you a quote, but I want to start off by saying she came under scrutiny initially in March of 2018 for liking a tweet that called transgender women men in dresses. She didn't comment on it. She liked it. Clearly, she was on that area of Twitter, and she deemed that funny. She thought that was something that was that was worthy of a like. That was just an innocuous thing that happened. People noticed it. It faded out of the public mainstream, except for queer people who had their pulse on it and were like, or their, their finger on that pulse, and were like, huh, that's not great. And then... And what year was that again? 2018. So it was not that long ago. But still, you know, we're five years ago now. <laughs> um, well, and because I was... Just real quick, I was going to say, also, we were hyper aware of that because it was Trump, Trump time. Yep, Trump times. And um, and we're going to, we'll talk, okay, I can't get ahead of myself. KJ, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't do it. Stick, stick with the program. Stick with the plan. Okay. December 19th, 2019. Hashtag I stand with Maya. So here is. I don't know this. Oh, this was the one. This is the one that started it all. So, Maya Forstetter lost her job at a think tank for using offensive and exclusionary language, quote-unquote. She began using her personal Twitter account to tweet about her opposition to potential changes to the UK's Gender Recognition Act, writing, and I quote, I share the concerns of at fair play women that radically expanding the legal definition of women so that it can include both males and females makes it a meaningless concept and will undermine women's rights and protections for vulnerable women and girls, unquote. That's the first quote. The first thing she said. I'm going to have you read the next part of this. No. Here is the second part of the quote that I would like for you to read for us now on the podcast. I don't want She then us. says... <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. Some transgender people have cosmetic surgery, but most retain their birth genitals. Don't go there. <laughs> don't, 
Don't do it. Okay. Everyone's equality and safety should be protected, but women and girls lose out on privacy, safety, and fairness if males are allowed into changing rooms, dormitories, prisons, sports teams. Oh, honey. And then later that month, in a series of tweets, I don't She repeatedly misgendered. Credit Susie, uh, senior director Pips Bunce, who identifies as gender fluid, referring to her as a man who likes to express himself part of the week by wearing a dress, as a part-time crossdresser, and a white man who likes to dress in women's clothes. As part of that discussion, she also tweeted, I think that male people are not women. In her own words, uh, Pips de, de, uh, prefers to default as she to, to she as a pronoun um so this this person that that she was talking about does use she her pronouns so she was like i think male people are not women in response to the fact that pips uses she her pronouns but does not appear she her to her um after that series of tweets in a slack in a slack conversation so the 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 texting service slack published by the court fortstetter reiterated that her stance is this please read what's on the screen i don't want to okay (laughs) women are adult human female i just i don't i haven't even i just okay women are adult human females or trans women are male are basic biological truths and trans women are women is one of a number of literal delusions Oh, just go fuck yourself, you piece of shit. I am. I know. So, so J.K. Rowling liked that tweet and came out in solidarity. Is that the wording she liked? Yep. Oh, God. Then she tweeted this. J.K. Rowling no. tweeted this back about do supporting Maya Dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who'll have you, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. Hashtag I stand with Mana. (laughs) And hashtag this is not a drill. So already, already sounding alarm bells. Women are being erased. Oh my God. Oh no, 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 no. Women are being erased. So this all happened because Maya was a, uh, uh, she, she had a specific job here. Let me, let me go back up here. Um, She, uh, she was, hang on. I got to go back down here. Oh my goodness. She had a very specific job working in a, uh, at a think tank and working in a, in the tax world, and she lost her job for tweeting these things. And then she sued, and she lost that suit. So she she oh, lost. But then she countersued, and she won the second no. time, um, which emboldened her. So <clears throat> she and J.K. Rowling put herself firmly in line behind her. Um. So that was the first firestorm where we had a bunch of people going like, she's not being transphobic. She's just trying to make it clear that women are women and they shouldn't be erased from the conversation. But that's not what the first debate was about. It was about the fact that she was supporting this piece of shit who was trying to say that biological sex is real, which no one was necessarily stating wasn't true. Um, but saying that to to call a transgender woman a woman is uh, oh, how was how was that exactly worded? Is is one of the number of oh, it was is one of a number of literal delusions. Also, she writes terribly. She is such a terrible writer. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I just saw you have to like adjust your jaw for a second. Tell talk yeah. to me a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just so uh, it's just so offensive. And as queer people, it's just. Honestly, this level of ignorance um, doesn't feel worth my time anymore. You know what I mean? And so I don't pay attention to this part of Twitter. And I don't blame and not, you. I'm I'm not saying not I'm not because, saying you should. And no, and I'm not saying we should just because influential 
influential people like in in the public eye saying transphobic shit is something we have to fight against. So I'm not saying we it's just I know on a day to day level just to like get through it's like this level of ignorance I tr- I try not to even acknowledge cuz it's so absurdly stupid. Um but at the same time, we can't always ignore it because these people are out there and they vote. Some of them legislate. Like, <laughs> so we can't always ignore it. It's just, it's it's exhausting. It is exhausting. And it's exhausting that trans people have to continuously be the ones to educate other people on it. Here we are today doing exactly that. But, you know, we queer people are constantly having to educate uh, ignorant people about the issues that they are being ignorant about. And unfortunately, we are only now starting to see real solidarity from certain members of the cis population, but it's slow moving progress. And if you listen to Michael and Aubrey, you also know that Michael has another podcast called if, called if Books Could Kill, and they have a Patreon that or a um bonus episode on their patreon that is about the new york times attack on trans people and we're going to get into some of that next week because i need a little more time to distill some of that down into talking points we can actually get into because when i listened to it earlier this week i made this sound for three minutes straight (laughs) on my way home from work so (laughs) i am i'm still kind of processing that episode but so this is the person that J.K. Rowling is throwing herself into into the ring with in December of 2019. That's the beginning of all of this. We're not even halfway done with this yet. She right, then... because right now... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, because right now it does feel a little bit like, and I'm probably wrong, but right now it does feel a little bit like this is all just Twitter stupidity, and there's a lot of shit on Twitter, and how much of Twitter actually matters. Like, that's how, you know what I mean? Because some shit on Twitter causes legit horrible shit, and then some shit on Twitter is, like, just people talking. No, I get you, and don't worry, we're going to get there. So June 6th of 2020, this tweet is about people who menstruate. She puts in quotation marks, people who menstruate. I'm going to put a little bit of attitude in this one because I imagine this is how she sounds in her head when she's writing it. (laughs) I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me find out. Wumbin? Wimpend? Wumud? She tweeted this on an opinion article, creating a more equal post-COVID-19 world for people who menstruate. It was an opinion piece about finding more gender-inclusive language in the medical field. And as we've talked about before, that is difficult terrain to go across, and people are going to have opinions about it either way. But we don't get to a better place if we don't try things out. And you can dislike or like things, but the reality is there are people who don't identify as women who menstruate. There are people who identify as women who don't menstruate. So let's just fucking get over this and move on. But no, she can't. She doubles down. And I apologize. I'm going to make you read the brick of text that came after that tweet (laughs) where she attempts to stand in solidarity while also completely negating everything she says at the very end. I respect every trans person's right to live. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Uh, (laughs) Any way that feels authentic and comfortable to them. She's even using some they, them pronouns. Uh, I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basis of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it's hateful to say so. The idea that women like me, who've been empathetic to trans people for decades, feel kinship because they're vulnerable in the same way as women, i.e. to male violence, hate trans people because they think sex is real and has lived consequences is nonsense. If sex isn't real, there's no same-sex attraction. If sex isn't real, the lived reality of women globally is erased. I know and love trans people, but erasing the concept of sex removes the ability of many to meaningfully discuss their lives. It isn't hate to speak the truth. Okay, 
J.K. Rowling is for some reason feeling like acknowledging trans people erases her gender identity. Yes, and I don't know that's why exactly she right. thinks I don't know why she thinks that. Well, she's not the only one. That is a cornerstone. That is a pillar, a foundational belief of TERFs. That is a foundational belief of TERFs. And also, white women gotta stop thinking all women have the same, like, people who identify... Oh my god, I know! Like, what do you think? Do you think all women... I mean, look at feminism, right? Like, first and second wave feminism, white women fighting for the right to work, and women of color being like, you don't work? (laughs) (laughs) I know! It's maddening! So, women have never had a universal shared experience just like humans don't and so that is perfect no that's perfect human beings in general don't have there's no such thing as a universal experience for every single person because we're all individual sentient humans with different experiences different lives exactly so she is she is for some reason feeling attacked by acknowledging trans people but you'll also notice she does this thing where she's like, I stand in solidarity, but not in the ways that you want me to stand in solidarity with you. That's basically what she's saying. I stand in solidarity and I with don't you. Even, but if that I don't means even know having what that means. to Oh sorry, sorry. Like like let's let's just take it. Um Oh God, where of it? If sex isn't real, the reality of of women's uh, of the lived reality of women's uh, of women globally is erased. And then at the top, she says, um, at the top, she says, at the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it's hateful to say so. No one is saying that. No one is saying that. She's saying that she's creating a false narrative in which people are telling her she's being hateful for saying that she identifies as a woman and that's important to her. No one is saying she can't do that. No one has ever said that she can't do that. She's being asked to change her definition of womanhood in some way, shape, or form, or to acknowledge that the, just what you just said, there is no universal way to identify as a woman. And you and I have had this conversation with other people that we love very, very dearly. We've had the same conversation with some other women in our lives who we've had to like basically take them by the hand lovingly and be like, but dear, your idea of being a woman isn't everyone's idea of being a, of being a woman. Just like my idea of being trans is not the same as everyone's idea of being trans. That's not how it works. So also, just calm down. The, <laughs> also, the cornerstone of their argument is ignorant because biology is complicated. Sure is. There there are people born with uh, a penis and testicles who have two X chromosomes and a Y chromosome. There are people born, I'll just say male, because that's what they'll be assigned at birth. AMAB, And yep. so there, there are people born male who um, have different levels of testosterone and estrogen. Can we just change there change are... the framing of that really quickly? Just 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 for the sake of like like getting getting on the same page with nomenclature. Can we say assigned male instead of born male? Can we sure. can, can we change that out? Just because that's technically more accurate, I think, in a lot of ways, in terms of identity and just being more open to it. I agree medically with what you're saying, but I think if we're gonna keep this sure. as, as as open as possible. Um, assigned male tends to fit better for most people in terms of palatability. Yeah. And so there are people assigned male at birth uh, with a condition called gynecomastia, which mm-hmm. means they grow breasts. And um, and, there, and, and then there's uh, people assigned female at birth who may not grow breast tissue, who may not menstruate naturally. So... Biology is complicated, and and one percent of the population is intersex, which mm-hmm. uh, equates to millions of people. <laughs> like exactly, we think one percent. Oh, that's not a lot. There's a lot of people. It's one percent of of almost nine billion people, though. <laughs> like that's exactly. that's a lot, and that's also. Uh, 
an estimate um, using the information we have available. We don't really track intersex individuals. So that's anyway. So what's the point? The point is biology is much more complicated than these TERFs want to believe. Because they take comfort in thinking sex is uh, black and white, right Mm -hmm. and wrong. And they're not right. <laughs> they're just they're just factually incorrect. That's the part that's kind yeah. of galling, right? It's not even like we're not even having ideological conversations here. We're having conversations about like, no, you're just that's incorrect information that you are now spreading to your millions of followers, some of whom are very, very keen on hearing you say that because they don't want to accept trans people in their own lives. So exactly. So it's. It, it 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 is, I totally get it, but not get being the, who how they are, like <laughs> get not fully understanding something and mm-hmm. having to come to terms with it, and doing that in the public eye can also be um can be hard. Be, and I'm not saying that's what she's doing now. I don't know if she's coming around, but I do understand coming to terms. I, I mean, both of us in our early twenties learning about queer stuff. There was a. I remember when I. I remember I went through a period of time where I thought people shouldn't identify as trans because I thought gender is a construct and no one should have a gender. And so identifying as trans is admitting there are genders. And that wasn't right. That was incorrect. But um, but we all go through growing pains, right? So... Um, so it's okay to not understand things. I don't understand everything, but J.K. Rowling is like doubling down <laughs> on yep. her ignorance. Well, Mama, we are now at about the halfway point of my notes, and we have been recording for over an hour. So next week, we're going to get into the next chapter, which is J.K. Rowling's relationship with Helen Joyce, a very, very outspoken proponent of critical, uh, of gender critical theory, Matt Walsh, a self-proclaimed fascist, and the Libs of TikTok account, which is an account that outs queer people and also harasses and attacks trans, queer, and liberal people on TikTok and other places online. So get ready. That's going to come next week. Yay. (laughs) Yay. So... But we just don't have time to get into all that today. So we're going we're gonna to do that next time. Thoughts on what we talked about today? What surprised you? Um, well, you know, I don't know if I'm surprised by the things we read. I do know I will purposefully, like I said before, I'll purposefully avoid those parts of Twitter. Because as a queer person... There's so much going on. They're trying, I mean, Texas, Florida, lots of states Mm -hmm. have these anti-trans bills going on. Um, I mean, there's legit concerns that the next president could be horribly anti-trans, anti-queer, anti-LGBTQ in very horrible ways. Um, And even if we have a liberal president. So anyway, what's my point? My point is I do avoid (laughs) a lot of this stuff. So I don't know if I'm surprised, but um, to actually read it out loud, you're just like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) It really, it kind of takes you back, right? Like it, yeah, uh, yeah. It just really, um, it it really, really, really does does kind of slap you in the face when you realize that somebody who wrote something that was beloved to you as a child, like really, kind of doesn't like you as an adult. Um, so if you have thoughts about what we talked about today, or thoughts on what we're gonna talk about next week, I just gave you kind of a, a bullet point rundown of all of that. Please write into us at thequeermocast at gmail.com. We will see you next week for the um, exciting conclusion <laughs> of JK Rowling's transphobic uh, last couple of years. And uh, oh, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. And in the meantime, oh, God. Oh, Slancha. Slancha. Oh, also go watch Damn. James Stephanie or Stephanie James Sterling's video. I'll link it down below because it's really, really good. But don't don't expect to come out of it feeling better. 